Good morning. It's good to be up here again with you and uh, to be continuing on in our sermon series. What we've been doing this fall is going through the Gospel of Luke and specifically looking at the moments when Jesus eats with people. And what we found is that there's a lot of significance in the act of eating with others, and especially in the way that Jesus chose to interact with people. His meals were especially important to Luke. You can tell just from the way he emphasizes this throughout the gospel. And so we've looked at a lot of different meals throughout the, the gospel of Luke, and today we are coming up on a story about Zacchaeus. This is a well-known story in Sunday school. James knows that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. In fact, one of, his, one of the things that will happen is he will take two figures, and one of them will end up in a high place, and the other one will be in a low place, and the low one will say, Zacchaeus, you come down. And <laughs> it's, just, it's one of his favorite games. Uh, so we know the story of Zacchaeus uh, from Sunday school. It's, it's a popular one. But today, when I was studying for this sermon, what I found was a lot of the, the people that I read connected the story with an earlier story, and that Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus could be read as a response to something that happened earlier in the gospel. So what we're going to do today is we're actually going to read two stories, and we're going to read the story of two different rich men and compare them. And as you listen to them read back to back, you may start to pick up on the similarities and the connections between these two stories. And ultimately, we're going to look at what it means to see, the, <clears throat> see Jesus' ministry as a ministry of presence rather than a ministry of correction and doctrine. So let me read the two stories together for us, and then we will unpack them. The first story begins in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And then the second story begins in 19, verse 1. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
They're two stories very close together about two wealthy men and their encounters with Jesus. And they end up with very different results from their encounters. And so as we, and in fact, the first story ends with the idea that it is very, very difficult for a wealthy person to get into heaven. And then in the very next chapter, there is a story of a wealthy man about whom Jesus says salvation is here. So what that means is that we should be able to learn something meaningful by comparing these two men and seeing what they had, what was different about them in what, why they came to Jesus, how they came to Jesus, what Jesus offered them, and how they responded. So that's what we're going to do now, is we're going to compare and contrast the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. So first, let's look at their background, what they bring to the story. Um, Jesus, when, when the rich young man comes to Jesus and, and says he wants to know the way to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Those are five of the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus is not saying that those are the five that matter. That is a shorthand way of saying the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are also, were always a shorthand way of referring to the entire Law of Moses. So he's, he says, keep the commands. Follow the Law of Moses. That's what you're supposed to do. And the rich young ruler says, all these I have kept. And Jesus accepts that. Right? He does not say you are lying or you're wrong, what he says is you still lack one thing, meaning that he apparently doesn't lack the keeping of those commandments. It's similar to what we talked about last week where Jesus actually accepts the premise that the Pharisees are righteous, but righteousness isn't the point. They were still missing something. They were missing Jesus. And in this case, the rich young ruler, we, Jesus accepts the premise that he is a law keeper, he is a righteous Jew. Now, on the other hand, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. In fact, you could also translate he was an arch, an arch like an archangel. He's an arch tax collector. Like he's a tax collector over tax collectors. And tax collectors were, uh, there were many problems with tax collectors about, beyond the fact that tax collectors are never popular because people don't like paying taxes right? But these guys were also dishonest, and they made their money by being dishonest about it, and they were keeping, they were um, collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman oppressors, and in the process of doing that, they had to violate the law of Moses. So they're unclean, and they're unclean for the sake of cheating people out of money, and they're unclean for the sake of cheating people out of money on behalf of the Romans. They're law-breaking, dishonest collaborators, and this is the guy who's in charge of the other tax collectors. He, he's the one who recruits people to collect taxes, and he's the one who cheats the other tax collectors out of money even. This, is, this guy is the worst of the worst. So as we compare these two in their backgrounds, what we find is the ruler had been especially righteous, and Zacchaeus had been especially sinful. They basically could not be more different in their backgrounds. They come to Jesus from exact opposite directions. But they also come to Jesus for different reasons. 
the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He is there to ask Jesus a question, to get the answer to that question, and to go on his way. He's there to collect information, which gives us an insight into his character and perhaps why he's been so fastidious about following the law is that he's looking to achieve something. His goal is to inherit eternal life, and he figures Jesus is someone who can teach him how, so he comes to Jesus to get the instructions for how to get to eternal life. He wants to know what he has to do to be saved. Now, Zacchaeus doesn't have any of that in mind. Zacchaeus has one simple thing in mind. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He's heard about Jesus, and he's curious. He's interested. He wants to know Jesus. So we can also compare them this way. The ruler wanted to get to heaven. Zacchaeus wanted to get to Jesus. So they had different, they had different agendas in mind. And I think it's important that we recognize that those are different agendas. Getting to heaven is not the same as getting to Jesus, right? Getting, or at least in our mind, that, those are different goals. Getting to go to the good place for eternity is not the same. Wanting to go to the good place for eternity is not the same as wanting to be with Jesus. Anybody who believes there's a good and a bad place for eternity wants to be in the good place, right? Wanting to be with Jesus is different, Okay? So these men come to Jesus with different agendas and from different directions, and Jesus gives them different responses. So the, Jesus responds to the ruler by saying, well, keep the, you know the commandments. You should already be doing this. Moses told you centuries ago, keep the commandments. And he says, well, I've done all of that, but I don't feel like I've gotten there yet. It's kind of implied, right? If he's keeping all of those and he's still asking the question, he knows there's something missing. So Jesus tells him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So Jesus gives him, he asks for instructions. He asks for the checklist and Jesus gives him a checklist. Now they're pretty big boxes to check. A rich person has to give away everything they own and follow Jesus. It's interesting, though. I never really paid attention to this, but he doesn't just say, sell everything you have and give to the poor. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, because then you'll have treasure in heaven, which is exactly where the guy wants to go, right? It's like telling somebody before they go overseas to convert their money into that currency so you can spend it when you get there. There's actually a logic to where he's, what he wants to do. If he's, his goal is to get into heaven, and Jesus is telling him a way to invest in heaven, that makes a lot of sense. But that, there's a degree to which getting into heaven isn't even really his motivation. Like getting to heaven as it is. He seems to want the kind of heaven, a different kind of heaven, because he doesn't want to give up what he has in order to invest in it. He doesn't want a heaven that costs him money. He wants a heaven that just makes him check boxes. And then the other thing is he needs to come and follow Jesus. He needs to be with Jesus. So 
The rich young ruler gets a ch- asks for a checklist, and Jesus gives him a checklist. Zacchaeus wants to get to Jesus, and when Jesus look, reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Not just I want to, or even I'm going to, but I must, which is interesting. That word that he uses is a word that Luke only uses when Jesus is talking about the things he has to do to accomplish his mission. So Zacchaeus, just, he wants to get to Jesus, and the best he thinks he can settle for is seeing him from a tree. But Jesus says, you want to be with me? All right, I'm coming to your house. Now, a meal is not specifically talked about, but it is, it, is, it is required in hospitality. When he says, I'm going to come stay at your house, that means I'm going to be your house guest. You're going to feed me. I'm going to, because this is what people are going to have an issue with. It's not just that he walked in and talked to Zacchaeus under his roof. It's that he stayed there with him and ate food that was paid for with ill-gotten gains. So, Jesus gave both of them what they wanted. The ruler got directions to heaven, and Zacchaeus got to host Jesus for dinner. Jesus gave them exactly what they asked for. And their responses to being given what they asked for could not be more different. When the rich man heard this, he became sad because he was very wealthy. He walked away. Jesus gave him the checklist of what it really takes to get into heaven. And it was more than he was willing to do. Because in reality, what Jesus is doing is he's giving him a checklist that kind of blows up the checklist. Because what does he say? He basically says, give away everything you have so that you have nothing hanging on you, nothing distracting you, and then come and follow me. It is a checklist that gets him to spend time with Jesus. You want a checklist. Your checklist is to give away everything that is distracting you from wanting to spend time with me and then come and be with me. Right? It's the checklist that gets him, weans him off checklists. But that's not what he wants. He doesn't actually want a pathway to heaven that is following Jesus. He wants what we often want and what often inspires our theological debates. What is the bare minimum I have to do to get in? How often do we fight about the bare minimum required to get into heaven? Right? How often do we fight about, do you have, like, like the grace versus works thing? Does anybody think that we, does anybody want Christians who aren't doing good deeds? Regardless of whether you have to do them to get into heaven, does anybody want the Christians to not do good things for others? And yet we fight about what's the bare minimum to get in. That is not a good mindset to have if you're following Jesus. That would be like me talking to Casey before we got married and saying, what's the bare minimum I have to do to get married to you? Like, am I going to, when, when I proposed to her, we did not negotiate for, for responsibilities. I didn't try to talk her down to requiring less from me, you know, and figure out, now, do I have to do the dishes in order for you to marry me, or can I, can I not, because it's, it's really about love, not works, right? So I don't have to do the dishes, I don't have to make the bed, I don't have to help with anything, because it's about love, right? Like, that's not how we do relationships, But that's how, but it sure is convenient and it's easy and it also doesn't require us to trust God. 
Because if we can trust the checklist, we kind of want God to give us a contract, right? We want him to sign on a contract so we can say, okay, I've done enough to get in and I don't have to trust anybody. I can just say, I've got it checked and I can move on and do other things. But what actually is required for the kind of ministry that Jesus does in the Gospel of Luke, it's not a matter of checking the list. It's a matter of being in relationship with Jesus. So the rich young Euler was unwilling to give up everything he had to be with Jesus. Being with Jesus wasn't worth what it would cost him. But here's the really, really interesting thing. Because one, one of the things that we talk about when, when this story comes up is that Jesus never tells anybody else that they have to sell everything they have and give it to the poor in order to follow him. This seems to be a one-time thing. Now, throughout church history, there have been people who took that as a command for Christians. But Jesus only ever says it to one person. And that's why it's interesting to compare this man's story with Zacchaeus' story. Because of what ends up happening when Zacchaeus takes a very different path to Jesus... So whereas the rich young ruler was saddened by what Jesus said, it says Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now they have an issue with Zacchaeus because, and with Jesus being hosted by Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus has been leading the wrong kind of life and they don't want to participate in that, Right? Like I said, so Zac- if you eat with Zacchaeus, all your food was bought by uh, ill-gotten gains. And there is a very, probably what's happening is the city of Jericho has decided to cancel Zacchaeus. We're not, we're going to exclude him from everything until he realizes how wrong he is. And it's actually wrong for us to interact with him because then he might think that what he's doing is okay. Right? In fact, there's an interesting possibility that that's the real reason why Zacchaeus can't see Jesus. Because I think I've told you this before, the pronouns are vague. It says, he climbed the sycamore tree, he wanted to see Jesus, so, but he was short, so he climbed the sycamore tree. Just like in English, the Greek is vague as to whether Zacchaeus was short or Jesus was short. I don't know if you're willing to accept a short Jesus, but it's possible that Jesus was short and the crowd just wouldn't let Zacchaeus through. It's technically possible that the problem Zacchaeus had was that nobody would make way for him because the city had, was shunning him. They weren't, they weren't willing to participate in his, his life. And so that they, that's, you know, it's, it's also very, it's probably more likely that he was short, but it's certain that he was being canceled. He was being shunned and cut off. And so they challenge this idea that Jesus would be willing to spend time with him, but that's because they don't understand the power of Jesus' presence. And so Luke tells us the story in a way that when Zacchaeus talks to Jesus in this very next passage, he's actually responding to the skepticism of the crowd by showing them why Jesus is willing to spend time with someone with a broken life. Because look what happens to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. This is a spontaneous reaction from Zacchaeus to the transformation that is happening in him as Jesus becomes his Lord. Notice that the story shifts in referring to Jesus as Lord now that 
Zacchaeus has spent time in his presence. And his spontaneous reaction to becoming a subject of Jesus, the follower of Jesus, is that he wants to give half his money away to the poor. Why only half? Because when he says, if I've cheated anyone, that's a rhetorical term. He has cheated a lot of people. And if he's going to pay them back four times, he's going to need at least half his income to pay back everybody fourfold. Now, the interesting thing is the law of Moses only requires him to pay back 125%. All right, so if he stole, if he cheated them out of $100, he has to give them back 125 But he's promising to give them back $400. So make no mistake, when he's done with this process, this guy is out of money. So the interesting thing is that the rich young ruler, he... <clears throat> He would not give up everything to be with Jesus. But for Zacchaeus, who sought Jesus' presence first, being with Jesus made him want to give up everything he had. The thing that Jesus told the rich young ruler to do and he wouldn't do, after a meal with Jesus, Zacchaeus came up with it himself. Even though... He had spent his entire life violating the law that was supposed to teach the Jews generosity and violating the law that was supposed to teach him that God was really the one who, like, they owed everything they had to God. He spent his whole life ignoring that law, and the rich young ruler spent his whole life technically obeying the law that taught him that everything he had was God's anyway, and he should be caring for his neighbors and for the poor in his community, even though they had completely opposite training and they were, they were, their background had set them up for the ruler to know what God wanted and Zacchaeus to have no idea. Zacchaeus spending a meal with Jesus completely transformed him. And that's what created in him the kind of character that, a, that a, an Israelite is supposed to have, that a person who has followed the law all their life is supposed to have. We often think that the gospel and the law are totally different things, but they're actually different approaches to creating the same result. The law of Moses is supposed to train people to be generous, to be obedient to God, to trust in his, in his providence. They're supposed to create people very much like what we see in the early church, very much like what we see Jesus telling people to do. And so that's why Jesus looks at him and he, uh, sorry, he reacts differently to these two men. When he looks at Zacchaeus, he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. What he means there is that Zacchaeus is now behaving the way the law was supposed to train him to behave. He is behaving as Abraham's family was called to behave. After one meal with Jesus, his heart is changed. Now, I'm not assuming that for Zacchaeus, after that one meal, his entire life was an unbroken road of, of giving up everything to Jesus and never having any trouble. But everything did change for him that day. And so Jesus responds to this by, saying, by looking at what this man did and saying, salvation is here. Not because he bought his salvation by giving away what he had, but the giving away of what he had was the evidence that he had been transformed in a saving way. That he was now back on board with the mission of God and the mission of God's people and the mission of Jesus. Whereas when he looked at the rich young ruler, he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
this rich young ruler who had been trained in the law had all these distractions and was seeking something different. He wasn't seeking the presence of Jesus. He was seeking the checklist he could mark off so he could get into the good place. And then the, the disciples say, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And I always felt in reading this story that that left it really vague and open-ended and just like ambivalent. Oh, God will just do something for some rich people. that, But we actually see exactly how God makes it possible. He transforms people with his presence. He transforms people who spend time with him, who get to know him, who come to love him. That is how God does what is impossible for us. So ultimately, the result of these two stories is that the ruler missed out on the kingdom, but Zacchaeus found salvation. Which is one of the many times we find in the gospel that the results of people's lives are the completely opposite of what their, their friends and neighbors would have expected. Nobody who knew Zacchaeus and the rich ruler before they met Jesus would have anticipated this conclusion. You and I, if we didn't know these stories and we met those people, we would not anticipate this conclusion. In fact, we might not even be happy about this conclusion. We might actually be upset if we knew these two men personally to find out that Zacchaeus was getting in and the rich ruler was not. But all of this helps us to understand the true mission of Jesus. As we look at how he, he eats with people and, and why he eats with people, I'll remind you of what we said the very first time, or the very first sermon in this series, that Jesus eats with sinners because his presence is the cure. We need to know what righteousness looks like. And we need to know what, we do need to find out what we're doing wrong. But what makes the difference in people's lives isn't that they've been told what they're doing wrong enough times or loudly enough. We often think that what I can offer people is I can diagnose exactly what's wrong with them in their lives and I can stay apart from the brokenness and make them realize that they're, going, that they're broken, right? Like we try what the, the people in Jericho were doing. We cancel, we shun, we say, I'm not going to be around that until you come around to my way of thinking. And when we do that, we cut them off from the one thing we have that can actually change them, which is our ability to usher them into the presence of Jesus. Now, remember that Jesus' goal is to change people. Zacchaeus is profoundly, drastically changed. So this isn't a sense that it doesn't matter whether people become righteous, whether people begin to live life the way God wants. That is the entire point of what Jesus came here to do, is to transform people. But the power to transform people comes from his presence. Because ultimately, it's knowing Jesus that gives us a reason to repent. Jesus gave the ruler, uh, when you think about it, I, I think the rich young ruler proves to us that, there's a, that abstract heaven and hell mathematics does not actually convert people. 
Because Jesus gave the rich young ruler something that I think we all would love to have, the opportunity to buy a place in heaven. In a way, he gave him a price. And if we really understood what eternity was worth, why wouldn't he pay that? Isn't eternity always worth every dime you have if we're taking it seriously? If what the rich young ruler actually wanted was eternity, and Jesus gave him a price tag, absolutely, that is, it's, any price you put on heaven is a steal, right? And yet, he wouldn't go for it. Because really, it wasn't in his heart. He didn't want to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus. Because the thing is, once he buys his ticket, the ticket takes him to following Jesus. There isn't a heaven that's not following Jesus. There isn't a heaven where he gets to do whatever he wants. Heaven is being with Jesus and doing things Jesus' way. And if you're not on board with the way Jesus is doing things, you're not going to like heaven. It's not going to be worth paying everything you have to spend eternity doing things Jesus' way. What gives us a reason to repent is when we know Jesus and he transforms us and he gives us the vision of the kind of kingdom he is building, and then that will be the only thing you want. You see that that's what happened in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had a reason to follow Jesus. That they never even, Zacchaeus never even talks about where he's going to spend eternity, but he is captivated by who Jesus is, and simply getting to know Jesus and getting to know his plans, his mission, and who he is, it, it infected him and made him want to go out and give everything he had just to participate in it, with no sense that he was paying a fee that would get him into heaven. He just wanted to join in. He wanted to be a part of this awesome thing that Jesus is doing. So it's knowing Jesus that actually gives us a reason to repent. And sometimes we get frustrated with people who won't repent, but they don't know Jesus. Why would they repent if they don't have Jesus as the alternative? If they don't understand Jesus, do, do we really have a good reason to offer people to live lives a better way if we don't offer them Jesus? Should we really expect people to decide to follow, follow God's plan if, we, they don't, if we're not offering them Jesus as the alternative? And then ultimately what that leads us to is realizing that repentance means joining with Jesus' mission. It doesn't just mean, oh, I'm going to follow the laws and be a good person. The ruler was already doing that. What the ruler was missing was he wasn't on board with Jesus' mission. He was on, in, on track to get into a, a republic of heaven, like a constitutional republic of heaven where all you have to do is be a good citizen and you're left to do whatever you want. problem is we have those here, and they're drastically imperfect. Everybody going their own way. What Jesus actually offers us, and the only heaven, the only kingdom that is on offer is his kingdom. It is a kingdom of reconciliation. So there is, no, there is no eternity for you where you get to hold on to your grudges. There is no eternity for you where you get to hold on to your prestige and the things that let you brag about being better than other people. You don't actually, you don't actually get to have your own private heaven or your own, you get to make it however you want. Heaven is being part of a vision and a kingdom that is better than any one of us could ever dream up in a million years. And so what that means then is that true repentance is not just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to go on the straight and narrow. 
Okay, I'm not going to beat people up. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to, uh, you know, get drunk. I'm not going to do these things. I'm just going to be a decent person. Repentance means actually saying, I'm going to be a part of Jesus' mission. I'm going to share his values. I'm going to build his kingdom. And that's the thing that I missed for a very long time. I spent a lot of my life struggling with sin that I kept coming back to over and over and over and over again and kept deciding, this time I'm going to be good. This time I'm going to do it different. This time, you know, I, I really hit rock bottom this time. It's amazing how many times you can think you've hit rock bottom and, and then just come right back and bash your head on it again. And the difference was I didn't really have a reason not to do that. I didn't, well, I didn't have an alternative. I just knew I didn't want to do that, but I didn't, I didn't really understand what Jesus wanted me to be instead. Now, I, I am by no means perfect, and I am still a person who is fighting the fight against sin, but I have noticed a drastic difference as I actually have a reason to want to be without sin. It's not just because I want to get a place in heaven. It's actually more because I realize that my sin keeps me from being on board with the world Jesus is creating. And I want his world more than I want mine. My real reason for giving up on grudges when I'm able to do so is because I realize they don't have a place in the kingdom that Jesus is building. They don't belong. And I don't want a world where people hold grudges over each other all the time. Even if that means I have to give up mine. So here's what I want to tell you. Here's where this story comes home for us. If you're in the kind of place that I have been and I am likely to come to again, where you're struggling to repent, and you just struggle to, to really make ground against this sin that is afflicting you, that's bearing you down, if you struggle to repent, spend time with Jesus. Focus on that. Focus on spending time with Jesus and falling in love with him and with his kingdom. It is in spending time with Jesus and being transformed by him through the Holy Spirit that we are able to be different because he gives us the ability. So whatever that looks like for you, whether you don't know Jesus at all yet or whether you've known him for a long time and you realize that you're, you're still getting pulled back to building your own kind of kingdom and just trying to check things off, if you've lost that fire, that thing that keeps you going, that helps you to remember why we're supposed to be fighting against sin, spend time with Jesus. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in Scripture. Spend time in worship. Spend time with other people who love Jesus. Prioritize time with Jesus over the other things in your life. Give him a place in your schedule. Spend time with Jesus. And the second thing I will tell you, it is if you want others to repent, give them time with Jesus. Don't just tell them what they're doing wrong louder. Don't just tell them what they should be doing instead more times. Introduce them to the, the one who made them, who loves them, and who is actually the source of the plan that we're supposed to be living by. The one who can actually change people. 
Because I know, I know the struggle of being frustrated with somebody that is so clear to you that they're going down the wrong path, a destructive path, and how many times can I explain to them how wrong this is? And how can I get them to see it? Well, ultimately, the only thing we really have hope in is not our ability to make people listen to me, but my ability to introduce them to the person who is changing me. That's what we have to offer and that, that is what will help us to navigate that really difficult challenge of, of communicating truth with mercy and grace. Because if we're communicating truth in a way that, pushes, that, that gets in the way of them and Jesus, that's the problem. It's also possible to not communicate truth in a way that makes them misunderstand Jesus and what Jesus is doing. That's also a problem. But if we keep the goal of introducing people to Jesus, that is what helps us to connect them with what will actually transform them. It's not you and me. It's the person that's transforming you and me. Amen? Now ask the praise team to come up, and I'm going to ask you to consider what is God putting on your heart? We believe that every time... Uh, we gather together every time the word is preached that God is speaking to each one of us. And what he's calling you to do or to change in your own life, I may have no idea about it. But the one thing that, that we return to is this path of discipleship. We believe that a fully functioning disciple of Jesus is connected with God at his church. They grow in faith and love, and they serve their community and world. And if you want to make the decision to take one of those steps, we ask that you would grab one of those cards in front of you and, and fill that out. Connecting with God in his church can mean giving your life to Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, today is the best day to do that. Getting connected with the church could mean signing up for a connect class and considering becoming a member. Growing in faith and love means participating in the life of the church in ways that build your relationships with others and build your knowledge of God's will and his, through his word. And for that, we have classes and, and small groups. And then we have lots of chances to serve, starting with clearing the chairs after the service, volunteering tomorrow night, and then... Uh, we have lots of different causes that you can get involved in serving either each other in the church or people in our community. And so we, I'd ask you to open your heart to whatever God is calling you to do as we stand and sing our final song. Mm -hmm.